When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joel will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy for this one Joe you know let's let's dive straight in with it and I think it's a it's, you know it's a really interesting one and I think we've got uh, one of the key kind of contributors to the development of these core moves as well in the room as well with Paul McGuinness um, but Joe over to you in terms of core moves what's your understanding of them and how, how would you say their best place um, well their best place their value if you like within within coaching and uh, player development yeah, so one of the first things I want to start off with, and, and it may be controversial, I don't know, I'd love to get everyone's thoughts on this, really. Uh, I'm going to share an article with the FA. It's a good one, and there's a couple that I'll share throughout the course. I'll post this in the chat now, where there's a clear definition for what the FA means by its core moves, where effectively these are simple combinations, interactions between two or more players that help to eliminate defenders. There's a really cool article um, on the learning uh, online platform with the FA that people can read. So I've just posted that in the chat. Um, what I want to start off with, Yaz, is actually, even when I've taught a couple of the UEFA-C courses as well, core moves, I don't know if it's to say the right words. Um, I always try and talk about core actions. The reason why I say that is, I know we can get down the, the world of semantics, but words are important. So words, well, moves is a, is, a, is a plural form of the word move, of course. Um, and it has many, many meanings, which is another challenge, right? But if we were to just talk about football, not necessarily just pure English, 
if we often talk about moves, and I bet if we put this to a vote, I would probably haste to agree that most of them would agree with me. If you ask people, you know, what would you define as a football move or a core move or a soccer move? And even if you were to Google that term, you'd probably come up with things around skills. So people might think, refer to the confusion of like the Cruyff turn or the Maradona turn or the Elastic or whatever. So often when I've taught on the UAPC and, and just my own preference, really, uh, I would probably rather we, we word it as a core action. Obviously, it's called a core move, but just to try and avoid any confusion with people. Because, um, I, I mean, I, I did actually have this on a, on a course that I taught in Derbyshire with the UAPC. Uh, last year and again first thought people had was when we're talking about core moves you're talking about a step over a scissors or this or that and we were saying no we're talking about things like a wall pass or a a straight ball diagonal run and that type of thing so you know I'd love to get your thoughts on it and anyone in the room you know Jamie who's got a lot of experience teaching on the courses Keith Paul etc and other people Um, for me my understanding is that the core moves are simple actions where it could be, as I said before, it could be that diagonal pass for a straight run or a straight pass for a diagonal run, as an example, where that involves, you know, a couple of players and they're just simple things of how we're using a pass to eliminate two or more defenders. And that's an action that you would see in a lot of football, right? At any level, if you really watch the game, you put the game under the microscope. If we're looking at that principle of breaking lines, and it could even be closer to the to the goal, you know, where you're in that final third, and you, it could be anywhere on the pitch really. But most people will probably visualise it of that split pass, and you're sending someone through. You know, that's a core move as the FA would define it. Or it could be an overlapping run where someone's starting from a deep position, and they're offering a supporting run ahead of the ball by running around the the, the player on the ball to create that that option or it could be a wall pass or a give and go or a sometimes we talk about like lending the ball where you're trying to probe and find so you're trying to attract some kind of pressure to invite an, uh, a sort of decision from the opposition to eliminate the defender so that's that's my understanding of the core moves but I do want to talk about you know perhaps we should view this as not necessarily a move, but to avoid confusion and action. Because ultimately what we're talking about is player actions. We're talking about um, uh, something that could involve a movement to receive or a run to deceive. So there's a run to receive or a run to deceive. And you're talking about something that involves a pass or a dribble of some kind. So, yeah, what's your thoughts on that and, and anyone in the room? Yeah, and I think it's in a really interesting one. I think, you know... It... I think one of the biggest challenges that does exist in the industry is obviously, you know, having a, if you like, collective and a, a agreed upon language that we can all utilise so that there's a shared understanding of exactly what everything means and what, when it means what and what it does mean in a different context, right? Um, so, I, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. You know, I think core moves is obviously what it says on the tin. Um, you obviously, you know, prefer the idea of it being core actions. Um, personally speaking, I think I, I, I've... Although, although I refer to them as core moves, I look at them as more combination combination moves because um, the concept is obviously you know, very much around how two players or three players may combine um, together to, you know, I guess, create some sort of move, if you like. Um, 
So I think you know there is semantics to a certain extent. I think I think the key thing within it is just understanding what what we're actually looking at when we're talking about it. Um, you, you know, you mentioned there about you know language and what you want to kind of refer to it as, and I think it's really interesting to understand, you know, just to kind of build on that a little bit more and identify that we can have our own language for it. Um, we don't have to abide by the language that's used as long as there's an understanding of what it is, but more specifically that when we're, when we're sharing this insight, sharing this, you know, um, these ideas and these concepts with our players that we speak in a language that they understand and they they feel familiar with. Um, and in many respects, a lot of the stuff that we might coach in, whether it's related to the core moves or anything else, nine times out of ten, they've probably encountered it in some way, or some way, shape or form, maybe have identified it as something different or haven't yet labelled it, if you like. So I think it's really important to understand you know, whatever language you choose to use, use something that people are familiar with and they understand. And or, or if, you, if you're bringing a new concept to them, it's just making sure there's a clear definition or um, an expectation or understanding that's developed around what it is that's being shared. So those would be my initial thoughts. I guess, you know, coming back to what you're saying, obviously linking this to the series of what we're covering here as well in terms of preparing for the UFC licence, I think it's, you know, it's important to understand where these kind of things fit in and as much as it is you know this series is about developing and understanding a preparation for the UFC license these aren't limited to the UFC license these these are things that as you quite rightly said exist quite right throughout the game regardless of what level you're working at whether you know that goes from a qualification standpoint as well as um, the level of your players and the age and stage of them so I think it's just the easiest way for me to kind of look at it is um, common actions right um for people to kind of look at what's happening in the game maybe look at where do these things kind of identify themselves within the game and you know, as i mentioned at the top of the call we've got paul mcginnis in the room as well he's he was heavily involved in obviously the in- introducing these uh within the fa's framework so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if you know paul's got anything specific he wants to add or share at a later point um, but those are my initial thoughts Gerard. yeah and just answering that you know it's interesting listening to you describe it you know in your own verbiage and we both come to the same conclusion. We've even used similar terms, haven't we? And it's come back to action. And that's my mission in life is how can we just create simplicity? But anything that requires us to have to, you know, re-explain it, if you like, often means have we got it right in the first place. And what I want to do is just avoid confusion for coaches and for players, you know, where, because typically when we talk about moves, that's where perhaps it could be argued people's thoughts first go. But you're right. I think, you know, if we, if we look at the actions, these are these exist in every game. It's not specific to an age or a phase. Of course, the older you get, perhaps the more complex and um, concise these actions will appear. And these are still things that uh, U9 is still visible. You know, it will happen. Um, I think for coaches listening, it's how does this influence your coaching? So the FA have done some outstanding research on this and looking at, you know, certain player actions, core moves, if you like. So where there's that overlap or, as I say, straight ball diagonal run or um, I don't know how often a takeover happens, if I'm being honest, but it's in there. Um, wall passes, lending, up, back and throughs. Up, back and through exists a lot, obviously. Um, certain things like that or sets and what have you. Um, these are all things that can can be trained. My question to the room is, 
does you know playing devil's advocate does it potentially lend us to coaching more patterns versus principles you know because i'd hate for coaches to go down the road of i'm going to re- like i'm going to train this pattern which effectively that's what it's becoming and this is that passing pattern but the challenge then becomes is well that's one way of doing it but that's an answer to a problem but ultimately we want to develop players who can identify, read triggers, read cues, and identify the moments when to do an up, back and through, when to do a, a a diagonal ball and what have you. So I think for coaches, you know, it's great to get Paul in now. Um, my thing would be, how can you use this to develop your understanding of principles and helping players to interact with the environment so that they recognise, right, I've read the body language of Paul. He's making that run. That's the trigger for me to play that pass. You know, and that it's that invitation for action versus training people in these patterns, but the players don't know the when and the why and how to apply them. You know, that that's just a, a quick two take from me. So, have you got anything you want to jump in on that one, Yaz? Yeah, yeah, just want to add something over to Paul. before we hand over to Paul on that one. I think, um, you know, I think it's really important to understand that. I, I know, and I fully get where you're coming from around it. You know, there being kind of uh, preempted patterns that might exist, but fundamentally, I think I think the key thing is this for coaches to take away from it is. These things are, um, I guess, tools that you can use to support your players and their understanding of what takes place within the game. Um, and they shouldn't be, in my opinion, seen as a, a be-all and end-all and something that stifles creativity. And I think if I just go back to the concept of a, a 1v1 situation as an example, you know, you, if we take on board what you've just said there, Gerard, and that, yes, there might be patterns, but these are just kind of foundations of, of, a, of a structure, of a situation as far as I'm concerned. So a diagonal pass straight run might not always look the same, the same way as a 1v1 doesn't always look the same, the same way as a um, a, a, a wall pass or a 1-2 situation doesn't always look the same. But I think if we identify that these are kind of baseline frameworks that we can utilise to support the players in their understanding of the things that do take place in the game, whether intentional and deliberate or not, then I think especially if we're coming in at it from a UEFA C standpoint, it's probably a good place to start for coaches to start to think about uh, what, you know, what, what can I introduce as a, as a concept for my players to understand. Um, but I guess, you know, my, my, my cautionary note, if you like, would be don't limit it, it to one specific way of looking um, in the sense that as if we're using 1v1 as an example, we've spoken about this in depth um, over a few different calls. 1v1 isn't always me going directly towards you. Actually, what angles are we coming in at? What different directions could we come in and at? What does that, how, what does that mean for my behaviours and the actions that I have to then carry out to try and get some success in that situation? What does it mean like um, in the concept of if I'm the players in possession, got, you know, completing the core move as opposed to those defending against it? So I think it's just really important to understand different perspectives and different scenarios that can exist as these within these frameworks of as in you know these two player core moves these three player core moves but um just a little piece to add on to what you said there but you know i'd be more than happy to kind of share share some other ideas but paul mcginnis obviously you know um massively involved in the introduction of these core moves with the fa a lot you know first of all paul how are you thank you for being with us and um what are your thoughts yeah no actually I'd left before they introduced this core moves. We I did a lot of the six capabilities to say say you know what goes into making a skillful interaction. Uh, my point 
and I think you've you've touched on it. If we call it a move, then everybody's maybe just looking at that move, a diagonal run for a straight pass or an overlap or a 2v1, whatever. So the, that doesn't give it its full meaning. For me, we have to start from the point of it's a game where we're trying to flow towards the opposition goal and we have to outwit the defenders. So, as I see it, these core moves are two-player moves, two-player connections where they must connect to outwit an opponent. Um, so, it's not just the passer, it's the passer and receiver, both of them, but they both have to be looking and playing against an opponent. They're not playing against a mannequin. They're not playing against uh, a free space. They have to have an opponent there. That's an interaction in the game, common interactions will be 1v1, 2v2, 2v1, 1v2, 3v3, so on. And that's um, that's where I think these these core moves will come from. And, of course, everybody will will have their own category, categories for it. So the way I categorised it um, myself would be it's a run for a pass. So that might be a blindside run, might be an overlap, might be a 2v1, it might be a run across the front, it might be a a drop-off to get the ball to feet. So it's a run for a pass. I, I would then count others like a combination, a two, a one-two, a wall pass, a pass and follow uh, as more of a combination where you get the ball back um, and you, you combine with two two or more players. But anyway, that's, that, that's just how you categorise it in your mind. For me, the key point is we have to outwit the opponent. So let's just take an example of a two-versus-one situation, say in a wide wide situation and maybe someone the fullback comes on the outside what you want is perfect flow to beat the opponent so if the passer plays the ball too soon and he's too far away then it gives the defender the advantage to make up the ground if the if the passer if the receiver is too wide then the 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 defender can also get over if the receiver is too far up and too narrow he can't get the pass to him and he might be offside or or the defender can cut it out um if the defender if the receiver um is running but he's right on the last line and has to slow down then the pass goes forward he can get caught up so it's about all of those things the timing of it and so on and then it might be the passer uh, how close do they get to the fire without getting burnt all those things would come into that 2v1 interaction to slide the pass and create the perfect flow so that the defender's beaten, you know? Um, so that that's how I would see it. And you can't really practice that without a moving defender. Not properly. You can do some. You can do some of it. But, you know, so it's, it's, it's not a move. It's a way to evade the defender. Um, when I was at the FA, we had a, a lot of really good talks with the uh, some ecological dynamics, and that's just a, a part, an idea of of how skill acquisition happens. But they were really good in the sense of saying it's not a Maradona move, it's not a Cruyff move, it's evading from an opponent. You know, and the more or more we we think about that, the the better it is. How do you you escape the opponent? How, you know, and there's lots of ways of doing that. You might stop, stand still. You might change direction, you might change speed, you might use disguise. Um, but really, the thing is to outwit your opponent and flow towards the goal, you know. Um, 
And in these two player connections, that's a lot of it, you know, due to body language, timing, all those sort of things may become short to go long and deceive the defender. So there's a lot of things involved. Um, but I think the starting point for anybody is not, oh, what are the core moves? It's what, how do you outwit the defender? And then which core move will be the best one at that time? Sorry, I, went I love everything you've said. <laughs> no, you that was absolutely refreshing and fantastic to hear, to be honest with you, Paul, because it, it, obviously it fuels my biases. Um, and you're probably aware I'm, I'm doing my doctorate in ecological dynamics and constraints-led approach. My my professor is uh, Professor Keith David, so that's yeah. been my bias. And I, I just the thing that I want to go back to is what you said there, because you bang on. You know, you're not going to get it from a mannequin that doesn't move in terms of it's not giving you any visual information it's there's no triggers there's no mm. no uh in contextual information for the players there's no invitation to action what i like mm. is um you use quite clever words so how do you escape the opponent you know and little things like you were using certain, like two or three like sort of trigger words if you like that yeah. guide in the players i, I think it. If, and i was going to ask you is that intentional yeah. from you yeah, yeah, I think you've got to try and get the right language. I, I, I've tried to reduce, you know, from the principles of play, from capabilities to all that thinking. If, if you're just starting off um, coaching your kids and you've not really done it before, how can you make it as simple as possible? And for me, the most simple thing is the game is you have to flow up the pitch with the ball, passing between you or running with it or dribbling to get close enough to score. And the opposition have to block you deflect you wide or steal that flow by getting their body in or tackling you or intercepting. So if we think of it just like that, it, you could think, well, that's like netball, basketball, any evasion game is pretty much like that. A lot of them are like that. And then that might make it easier. And then another thinking tool for coaches who are just starting, say, with their kids would be to say, well, think of it as British Bulldog, but with a ball. So what do you do with British Bulldog? someone's on aren't they and everybody's ready to run across they run across and the defender goes and chases one and if you look at his head you can make a blind side run you know do the side which is just like football or then there's three or four defenders now you might make a fast run right around the outside and you might try that again the next time but the guy's catching you but what you do you stop you then go back against his flow and that's how you evade him. And that's exactly what the players are doing with the ball. And so to do that, they've got to get the right speed. They've got to look at the defender out the corner of their eye. They've got to have a bit of deception. And then they've got to slam the brakes on. So it's all footwork with the ball. And as you get better, you'd probably, you'd probably say, well, we need to shield the ball from them with our body. And then we go out the other way. And we try and flow towards the goal. Um, so that, that type of thing. And understanding, say... If you do that, you run for the line, he's chasing you and you realise he's going to get you, you have to be brave enough to let him get close. Because if you if you stop five yards away, he can see that by a mile away. But if you let him come close, he's coming faster and faster. And then you put the brakes on, he goes flying past. So that there would be little tips that would apply to football coaching, I think, for, you know, start start off level. Well, for any level, to be fair, but, but yeah.
Yeah, and no, I think it's really, it's really, it's really quite interesting there because obviously, you know, <coughs> picking up on Gerald's question about the language, and you know, it's, it's probably where I'm a bit more of a fitter, if you like, in terms of making sure the language is really suiting the needs of the understanding of the players. Um, but even coaches alike, I think, you know, that that piece is so so simple, right? Where you've just talked about just literally escaping the opponent. Well, I think the, the beauty of it is that it's so simple, but it's yet so vague in the sense that it's open to interpretation. So you're still leaving plenty of a, uh, plenty of room and space for them to be creative around what that actually looks like. And I think linking it back into the core moves themselves is just, it's almost, well, look, here's some ideas. It might even be setting challenges to the players. I'm just thinking as you guys are talking there, challenge could be well here's some ideas of what the core you know what some core moves that we want to kind of introduce and that take place in the game what do these look like for you can you think about a time where this might come up in the game for you or can you show me you know show me how you might utilize this and it's just maybe stretching and challenge their thinking around that so you still get a creative element and then you know but Gerald, i'm just interested obviously linking that back into kind of where you're working obviously over in the states and <coughs> what, what's the what's the framework there this is an FA kind of an FA CPD where we're talking about the core. What what was the framework out there in the U, with the US Soccer Federation and you know how do you think the core moves will be received out there? So we've actually and I've tried to implement some stuff just to sort of adapt to our sort of culture here um, and similar to what you know you just described and Paul mentioned earlier phrasing it in challenges and using certain key words like I love the word escape eliminate certain things like what Paul mentioned there and you um, for the, I did a challenge in one of the games, which was, you know, how, how many times can you create an opportunity where you beat a player with a straight ball and a diagonal run and it's worth certain amounts of points, right? So it could be straight ball, diagonal run or diagonal ball, straight run. But the number of times it leads to a goal is worth X, whatever X is. And there could be different ways you do it. You could almost do like a menu and the players are trying to tick that off, right? And for me, where we've gone and, and with the US, we're heavily influenced by the sort of European culture for sure. Um, so years passes to give you a, uh, an insight. Obviously, they've had so many foreign managers and foreign technical leads. There's been like the German model. There's been the Spanish model, if you like, a little bit of influence from the French, all kinds of stuff. And even recently, you know, from uh, when I was teaching over here in 2018, um, you had KMVB influence. And what happened was, and I'll get to the point, is we started off by identifying, well, actually, it's the environment that's important. So we want to develop these principles, but we don't want to view the moves, these core moves, in isolation of a technical skill, like a technique. We want to develop players to be able to interact with the environment. And we launched a methodology called Play Practice Play, which was well-received creating more game-like experiences. And then there was OLI, which was standing for Orientation, Learning, Implementation, which as a methodology was designed to get these sort of moves, these actions out, um, where basically similar to how we'll work within UEFA, you're managing the opposition to create the problem for your team to solve. It was done in a little bit more of a linear fashion, but that was the gist of it. The danger then became was that, and perhaps we're seeing some of this as well in the UK, Sometimes coaches feel restricted, Jazz, where, you know, like with the UA4C, it's whole part whole. I love whole part whole. But there will be some coaches that will be, well, I don't want to coach in that way. You know, or what if I want to do this activity or that activity? 
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And we faced a little bit of this in the US. What happened was they were on courses, but they were told, right, it's play, practice, play only. And then when you get to the scene above, it was OLI. And coaches felt restricted in that that was the only way that they could coach. So what we've done now to answer your question, I just want to give you a, a sort of snapshot of the, some of the, the, the sort of historical influences and the journey we've gone on. And I'm sure it will take another direction with Matt coming in as well, Matt Croker. Um, but what we've done now is to, to answer your question is we've created these practice type activities, sort of like buckets, where we're saying the, the game, what you design has to look like the game, has to look and consider like their, what their game looks like. And it can fall under either a non-game form, which is like your isolated drills type activities, a modified game form or a game form activity. Modified game form, meaning that it's like the game. You've got your moments of the game, attacking, defending, transition, etc. But you've manipulated, you know, there's direction, but you've manipulated maybe some constraints, rules, conditions, um, the certain ways in which they have to score or whatever. So you've modified it in some way. It could be the way you've modified the numbers or the pitch area, the size or the zones, whatever it may be. And then game form is obviously more closer to the pure game. And what we're doing is we're sort of saying, well, and this is where I wanted to answer it as well. For me, I think we've got to look at the environment. So Paul alluded to it, you know, you're not going to get a lot of this against a mannequin or in this activity or that. I love the keywords Paul was using where he talked about timing. Well, how do you do, how do you train that? So if it's that straight ball diagonal run or whatever it is, how do you get that eye contact? How do you develop that? that feeling, that sense, you know, and that instinct and the timing and the positioning and how do you develop those and train those? Well, you've got to put players in environments where they have to solve that problem, but they're getting situations and scenarios where they're faced with those problems. And then it's the skill of the coach where we're guiding, we're educating where their attention is. So where are they having to look for? So it could be, and you know, you and Paul both alluded to it where you made certain references when you were talking. And that's what it could be for the players. It could be what are you noticing about the time of his hip movement or this or that. Like, where are we guiding what they have to look for and see for them to know what to do in that decision, that moment? So what what we've seen in the US, the culture now is very much, we're not prescribing any particular methodology. How you want to coach is is up to you. You've got to have a rationale behind why you do what you do. But there's more of an emphasis on what does the environment look like? And you might decide that you've got more, you know, small numbers to big, big numbers to small, or however you structure your session to achieve your outcome. And it may fall under, you know, that activity may fall under a non-game form. And then we might challenge it, but it's not to say it's right or wrong. It might just be, well, does that allow you to get out what you're wanting to? Now, if it's non-game form with no opposition, it's going to be very difficult to develop the capabilities, as Paul was mentioning, around scanning and positioning and, ta- and movement and things like that.
because there's there's no information coming. So I think where we're really good and we're getting more influence, and this would be my bias, would be how can coaches think about, okay, they want to develop the player's ability to eliminate opposition. So, you know, you talked about that flow, right, Paul? You said that, that perfect flow to, towards the opposition's goal. Well, could that be, you know, we've got eight players or we've got nine players for tonight or however many we've got. How are we designing this game, this activity, that allows them to eliminate players? And can we set them a challenge where it's, you know, how your pass might eliminate two or more defenders or your pass or your dribble? So you're not telling them what to do. And there's less of a focus on, like, the ideal perfect technique. But what we're doing is we're giving them opportunities where they'll, they'll, they might dri- decide to dribble, they might decide to pass. You know, that great one that Ben Bartlett did years ago, and you, you, you're familiar with it, Yaz, where he said one touch or four plus is a condition, right? Well, what does one touch or four plus do? It restricts players to, if it's on to play quickly, play quickly first time. If I take a touch, I've got to run with it. Or I've got to manipulate the ball in some way. And now players are forced to recognise when to pass, when to dribble. And they're also forced that it's that immediate feedback, isn't it? They'll get, oh, I took a touch, maybe because I had to, because he didn't give me the best pass. But perhaps maybe I could have played it off first time or not. And You know, you're forcing players to have to look for information early to make a decision. And I think that's where these core moves fit in is trying to link the core moves, these actions, with the capabilities of a player. And we've got these capabilities around. We need them to be able to scan. We've got to think about movement, positioning, and so forth. Well, how do we design an environment? So what does the activity look like that creates those opportunities? You know, because you shared a good resource, Yaz, where you showed some of the moves at the recent World Cup. And obviously these exist. Well, could it be that for tonight we're really paying more attention to um, the ability to, you know, pass and follow or lend, lending pass. And that, and then it's all right, well, where does that typically happen? And how, um, how can we set a challenge where players can try and try and experiment with that? My criticism or my concern is if coaches go too far with it, where they talk about mm, the moves, what happens if I go, all right, I want to work on... Uh, up, back and through and I'm drilling the players in, right, you're going to pass, you're going to set it and then the next pass is going to go through and that third man might go and get it all. Or it might be like that clip we've all seen with Sterling where he sets it and gets it himself. But the problem there is that does that give the context of the player of, well, when that can be applied, why it's applied, what do they need to see in order to do that? Do you see what I'm saying? So we're focusing then too much on the the technical execution, but we're eliminating perception. We're eliminating their ability to search information. So I would say, and something that we're doing a lot over here in the US, but it's a challenge because over here, there's more of an emphasis on winning games and winning is important. So that's a big uh, pressure that coaches are under where if they don't win games, even at grassroots levels, it's very difficult for them. But ultimately... We're looking at creating more decision-rich environments and then putting them in situations where that situation can occur. Do you know what I mean? So that up, back and through will occur naturally without us having to manufacture it. So it'll occur naturally and then it's up to the skill of the player to recognise or not 
is that something that they can do? And if it's a missed opportunity, that's fine as well, because then you might pull the player to a side and now you're going into coaching interventions. So if I've rambled on a bit there, Yaz. No, I think it's spot on, mate. I think there's so many so many little bits to kind of pick up on and there's kind of a, just a, a couple of key things that kind of really jumped out at me. I think it was worth just kind of just building on. I think, uh, going back to the first, one of the first pieces that you talked about there was around effectively coaches just doing specific things and whatever those specific things are, I think just linking it back into the series of the call um, in terms of the preparing for UFC license and even just beyond, guys, I think whatever you decide to do, whether it's a whole part whole, whether you look to do it, whatever way it is, and it's not just as simple as just deciding this is the way it's going to be. I think it's really important to consider and rationalise why you're going to do it, the things, the way you're going to do it. And I think one of the things, you know, just to kind of pick up on what Paul said earlier about and linking it into what you've just said, Gerard, is understanding where certain things fit in within the game and what's required in order to understand how to develop that and what's needed to, in terms of an interaction and something that I talk about all the time. And I think it marries up quite well with what you've said and even shared in previous discussions around your biases. And I think you know, we're very much alike in the sense that we probably probably veer away from unopposed practice. And I think, you know, I think it's important to understand that even in what Paul said, and feel free to correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, Paul, is that, there's a lot of things that just cannot be practiced effectively and not definitively, but effectively with the use of unopposed practice. So, you know, Gerald, you're talking about some of those moments there. And even if we're talking about lending a pass or whatever those core moves might be, fundamentally, they're interacting with some sort of information. Now, if that information is not present in the sessions that they're doing and preparing with in, in the lead up to a game or whatever else that might be, then how can they interact with that in a way where they understand the influence of those things? You know, Paul gave a good example. You know, if a player is running at you and they're coming in super fast, well, if that player doesn't come in at you super fast, you don't understand how to prepare and deal with that as a as a as a problem. So, I think we need to understand the problems that the players are facing. We need them to understand the problems that they're facing by helping them understand what variables have made this a problem. So is it the fact that we're defending a, a, a 3v2 situation that's the problem? Or is it more specifically how well the opposition have distanced themselves and created space amongst one another that's made it challenging for us? Because is that 3v2 situation still a problem for us if they actually make themselves compact and actually do our job as defenders, if that makes sense? So I think, you know, I don't know if that was a good example or not, but the key thing I'm going out for after here is recognising, well, what are the variables? When do the variables um, have an influence and what and what variables have a, what influence at what given moment? And then linking that back into how we then deliver those sessions. How much of that stuff are we, either, are we then sharing, considering or even probing around for the understanding of our players and, and, and what, what it means to them? And, I, and I'll just probably finish on this one by saying the phrase that, you know, that we've, that we've kind of been talking about over the last few months as well. And that when we're looking at the game, are we looking at it through our experiences or sorry, our eyes or their experience? So what are the players perceiving to be a problem? Are the players perceiving that a defender's five yards away and that's a challenge? Or actually, do they not feel challenged until the defender's two yards away? So it's just starting to recognise what the problems might be within the game and to who and when to those individuals does that become and stop becoming a problem? Um. Yeah, Paul, I'm not sure. Yeah, there's, there's good stuff there. Oh, sorry, Paul. 
Yeah, no, uh, it, it's good. I, I think I, I keep going back to this idea, simple idea for, for people to think, a thinking tool. We want to flow towards their goals. So what concepts do the two players in the in the core move connection need to know if they're going to outwit the defender? So if you want to flow towards the goal and, and, and get past the defender, the simple concept is that you have to play the ball in front of the receiver so they can go run onto it past the defender. So as simple as that, that would be, you know, and that's a concept you've got to say, we've got, I don't know, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, you're playing 5v5. You need to give them enough space so they can see that happening. And then you start to go, yeah, Johnny's got it. He understands that he waits times he's run and he plays a pass. But little uh, Samantha over on the left or or Joe, they've not quite got that yet because they're stood still and they're not going. They don't understand. They have to l- create a space and flow into it. And that pass is not going to come to them. It's going to come to the space because we need to, you know, we need to outwit the defender by flowing past them with the pass. So simple things like that, uh, I think, might help. Uh, that, that of course, is all wrapped up. It's not, it's not decrying the old... Um, principles of play where you would say width, depth, penetration, movement is all in that. I just think flow simplifies it. And it's more from the player's eye view. The ball's flowing in front. You must play in front of the guy who's running. So if you think of, I've just watched it now on match of the day, uh, De Bruyne plays the ball in front of um, uh, Bop. Is it Bop he's called? And um, behind... uh, uh, what's the fullback called for Newcastle? Used to be at City um, as a kid, the England guy. Well, he's played it behind the right back, and he's run onto it, and and that's the flow. And he's made the run because he knows they're both on the same wavelength to make that flow. Or an even more dramatic example would be uh, the goal that that Van Persie scored, the volley, where where uh, Rooney, he plays the pass 20 yards in front of where he was. So that, that's a simple, simple core core idea that you need to get in a 2v1. Still I love it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's perfect. I'm trying to, what I wouldn't mind doing, I'm sure it's possible, Yaz, if we could get, some um, trims or sound bites of some of the things Paul said because I think they're really good, sort of twenty second clips, really or fifteen second clips where you're talking about where, where that pass is going to, where's the player receiving it, is it receiving space beyond, and yeah. the flow. I, think, I love the terminology yeah. flow. That's a good one. Yeah, well, where what, did you what learn that? Then? Was that something that you've always done, or did you? Well, was that just, an influence from yeah, your flowing football from so. United. Yeah, no, I've just thought it up as the as a simple thinking tool for me. I tried to reduce it. Also, if you've got those six capabilities, say there's a there's a forward on the last line with the defender. If he's got his back to goal, and the defender's got his back to goal, they've got they're at equal sort of capabilities. But if he now turns side on, he's got the advantage in body language to flow forward. But he can't flow forward, so he's offside. So he's got his footwork pattern has to go sideways to keep him on side, but allow the space for the pass. And now he blends into that pass as he runs, so the ball can still be played in front of him. 
with a width. For that, for him to do that, he has to position where he can see the the defender, the space, the passer, and then coordinate the timing. And he might stick his hand out to, to direct the pass as well. And probably the pass is best if it's a right-footed pass that bends in, from the right into his path rather than a left-footed pass that might get cut out. So all of those things would come into it, but you can figure them out if you think what would be the best flow. And you can also figure out all the common mistakes. Um, you know, what would the common mistakes be? Well, he start with his back to goal. He didn't get the timing right. He didn't open up, so it got cut out. The footwork wasn't good, all those sort of things, yeah. No, this is brilliant. I love it. I love. The, I just love the intensity around words and how certain words allow us to sort of see things from the the perception of the player and their journey. Um, the only thing I was going to add on is, and I don't know what your thoughts are, or Yaz or anyone else in the room, was I was just thinking about the wider sort of practice structure. So how how does the, the practice structure that you're creating, as well as the sort of activities themselves, helping players within this? So how we're designing the environment? Because... The considerations are scanning, your positioning, your timing, etc. We've got to remember these. And what does it look like for players to try and entice defenders, to try and hide and seek, play with disguise and surprise? You know, how can disguise and surprise and deception be like key qualities that we hold in high value within the sessions? And does the current sort of design of the session, the structure of the flow of the session itself, lend itself to helping that or not, you know, as the case may be. Yeah, I think I think as well, you've not got to go after too many things at once. You know, it's the the Douglas Mov one, you know, you chase five rabbits and you catch one, you don't catch any, go after one or two, you might. So it reminds me, say, if we're talking about a situation of making these core moves, runs behind, um, of the uh, a session that John Allpress did, but basically gave them quite a lot of space. You might have your 77, whatever it was. But the rule was you had to try not to pass it safe side. You had to try and pass it. People call it the back foot. I think it should really be called the front foot, but basically the furthest foot forward. But the the, the onus was on the pass and receiver to work together. So if if there isn't a gap, then the, the receiver has to move outwards, you know, quickly to make that pass happen. Now. If the defender then follows him and closes that gap, he also he also creates a passing line for the ball inside him that the, that the player can run onto for the that would then be the a diagonal run pass for a straight run. So it's more the intention to to play in forward in front that is the most important thing, and then they will find the right move at the right time. You know, rather than stipulating it's got to be this move or that move, because it all depends on where the defender is in relation to you, and that might change. You know, in that situation, if I'm the right winger and I and I pull out wide to open up that space, but the fullback comes over, he leaves a passing line in front, and now I'll run either across him or behind him. So it's very hard to say we're looking for this run or that. We, we, we're looking for you to look at the defender, the space and the passer and you decide and you show the passer what, what's on with your movement. Yeah, 
Do you know what? Yeah. I think it's really good there as well. Yeah. Just to kind of add, it's the attention to detail, right? It's the attention to detail in that. And I think this is really important in understanding where we're pitching this right now. It, you know, this is, you know, obviously preparing for UAFC license, looking at the core moves, but it just gives <laughs> us a, a kind of a, a real snapshot understanding and a perspective of just how much information there is there to kind of look at and coach. And I kind of just want to go back to the, you know, the top line message that these are just ways. Uh, or rather areas in which you can kind of look into within the game. These are just you know frameworks within 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 your in the, the greater observations of what you're going after within the game and where you want to kind of operate within your players. Certainly from my perspective, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if that would be a, a fair and accurate way to put it, 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 it you know, in, in your opinion, Paul, or even Joe, I don't know if you've got any different takes on that. Yeah, I just think the core moves are good. You have to categorise all that so you've got it in your head and an open up, a run across, um, uh, a drop off to feet, come off on an angle, an overlap, all that. You, you need to see those. But the most important thing is to understand you've got to outwit the defender between you. The two of you have to do it. The passer and receiver are looking to flow behind the defender or to gain advantage in flow. I mean, you might come off and get it to feet and turn and run at him so that you've gained an advantage. But the most important thing to have at the root cause of it is you need to outwit the defender. And that means you're not going to spend all night passing it round cones. You know, you, you've got to outwit the defender. That's not to say some passing around cones. You, you're going to get some things, but the most important thing is to have the kids in mind, the challenge of getting blindside or beating the defender. Uh, really important. And, and this, listen, this is not easy. You're talking about people doing sea license. I was a, I was the centre of excellence uh, director at Manchester United when I was like 27, 28. And I remember vividly, we didn't have a lot of space. I was trying to teach an overlap. Uh, I had the the, the the winger mark in the full the 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 fullback mark in the winger. He had to come off, and and I, had to, I was trying to get an overlap. I just could not get it to work all night. And the next day I went into the coach's office and I spoke to Eric Harris and I'd explained I couldn't get it to happen. And he said, look, it's a simple, simple rule. You can't go on the overlap unless the receiver has turned and faced forward. And now you'll have that flow. You, there's the opportunity to play a forward pass. If the defender's stopping him turning, well, you can't really go on the overlap. He can't play it to you. So that was like a thunderbolt moment for me. I've never forgot it. And and that's the same sort of thing you're trying to get now. Some of those key principles. Um, and I would hope people, you know, on the sea license think, yeah, I've got to be able to flow forward. So how do we do that together? That's the most important thing to outwit an opponent. Uh, that's what I'd say. I love it. Absolutely love it, Yaz. I think this has been brilliant. Just listening to the key words. I think there's loads of little snippets that we can share. And this is recorded, isn't it, Yaz? So people can listen to it back as part of the FACPD as well. But you'll also publish it on the, the Coaches Network podcast, right? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. So, I mean, all the spaces, the sessions that we do do um, are recorded and then put back on the Coaches Network podcast on the Wednesday following the uh, following the session but I think it just on that it's probably worth just noting that you know this is a CPD session um, that we're that we're involved in right now and, and 
in order to get those CPD hours, there's a, there's a self-reflection form, which, um, Gerard, I don't know if you wanted to share some insights on that, but uh, the deadline for that is, in fact, the 28th. So Sunday the 28th will be the cutoff point at which you can submit your um, self-reflection forms to get any CPD that's been um, part of these spaces during the, the month of January. George, you want to just share some insights on how they can get access to that? Yeah, so, you know, outstanding. Really appreciate, Paul, you speaking and just everyone listening in and some of the questions that we received through as well. If, in, you know, this is part of an ongoing sort of CPD series and you'll be able to get the accredited hours by completing the self-reflection task. So I'm going to share a link now uh, in the chat and that'll be a, a Google form where you simply, for those who are looking to gain the FACPD points to their, their fan uh, profile, this is uh, eligible for up to an hour. And all you do is you put your name, uh, the space that you've attended, which is, for example, this one, the, the call moves, um, your fan number, make sure it's, it's correct. And then your takeaway. So it could be what are the key things that you've took away from tonight or what are you still not sure about? You know, the, there's no right or wrong. It's your reflection and what you've took from the conversation today. And by completing that, that'll ensure that you're eligible for, for an hour to be added onto your fan profile. For those that aren't looking for this uh, to gain FA CPD, but just CPD in general to keep thinking and learning, you know, then no need to fill in the form. And thanks for coming and interacting with us. You know, and we look forward to you continuing being a part of these series. 100% and just to echo what Gerard said there, guys, make sure, you know, you are following us. We've got you know, loads of different things coming up over the next few months. Um, you know, definitely check out our pages, check out our links. Um, you know, we've got a few different webinars coming up as well as a few more series of Twitter space or X space sessions. Um, but no, it's been really good tonight. Paul, massive appreciation and thank you for your um, participation tonight and obviously just sharing some insights from your own experiences. Gerard, as ever, you know, good, good catching up with you, good hearing your thoughts. And everyone in the room, you know, whether you've been sitting here listening, whether you've, um, you know, made some notes, whether you haven't, you know, feel free to get involved in future conversations. Let us know what your thoughts are. Leave us a comment. Um, and in the future, you know, if you know, if you feel comfortable enough to come up and raise your hands and share some insights or have any questions of your own, please feel free to do that as well. Um, and likewise, if you're not feeling comfortable enough to do that on the platform here, feel free to drop us a comment. And we can kind of build on that um, and bring it to the bring it to the forefront ourselves. So, yeah, massive thank you to everyone involved tonight. Please make sure you're following us and um, we'll be back next week. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.